topical study on the book of Proverbs. I um, <clears throat> titled the study Landmarks on the Path of Life. And uh, Proverbs 22:28 is the, the key verse that I'm uh, going from. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. Um, when we first started this study, I explained that what I meant by the landmarks is that there are principles in God's word that are there for us, for our benefits. And these principles really are universal principles. So, so anybody who abides by these, anybody who applies these principles in their life, it would be beneficial for them. It would be very profitable for them, uh, not only to discover them, but also to abide by them. Also, um, along with this idea of the landmarks and the path of life, I, we talked a little bit, or I talked a little bit about how the Bible uh, likened our life uh, to a journey, right? It's a, it, we're just passing through. I talked about it being a path, Proverbs chapter 4, where there's two paths that we can choose from. Uh, one path is a path of darkness. Uh, the other path is a path of light. And as you travel along the path of light, it becomes brighter. The light becomes brighter. Also talked about a, a race. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, we talked about a race. Also, uh, 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, it's not necessarily a sprint, <laughs> but more of a marathon, uh, more of a, uh, of a race of endurance. And um, talked about that a wise runner in a race will shed as much weight as they can in order to run that race well. And we talked about, you know, not allowing sin uh, to get a strong influence in our life to weigh us down in our race. Also talked about a warfare, that our life is a warfare. Uh, you realize, you know, just like the infantry, when, whenever we put boots on the ground in a foreign nation, uh, we're boots on the ground for the Lord. We're in a, we're in a foreign place. We are in an occupied, uh, enemy occupied territory. And of course, our chief weapon is the sword of the Lord and our chief ally is the spirit of God that dwells within. And so it is, it's a warfare. I also talked about it being a conversation, 2 Corinthians 112. Um, if you remember, we talked about that a little bit. I said that's, that's the way we carry ourselves through life. That's the way we behave before others. That's, uh, that's, it's a way of life that we show others what our priorities are, what, what is important to us, our values, uh, those very things, uh, from our words and from our deeds. They, they see what path we're on. They see what path we're on. Also talked about a pilgrimage, 1 Peter 2.11. A pilgrim has a specific destination in mind, don't they? They're, they're moving toward a specific destination. Uh, they have a high calling that they're striving for. They have a prize that they're after. They have a mark to be reached. And that's the way we should live our lives. We should live our lives with our, with our purpose before us. Uh, with our destination before us. And then finally, I think I closed out on that, uh, talking about our life as a walk of faith. And that kind of summarizes the whole ball of wax. Our life is a, is a walk of faith, according to Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 7. And we had someone who's kind of blazed the trail for us, didn't we? And anybody, can anybody remember who that person is? The one we should be following? 
Yeah, Jesus Christ, right? First uh, Peter 2.21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So he's our, he's our guide. He's our leader. He's the one who's blazed the trail through, uh, through, uh, for us in our life. And um, so what I want to talk about, and this is still an introduction, uh, what I want to talk about now as far as our walk is uh, I want to talk about the risks, I want to talk about pondering, and I want to talk about the requirements of our walk. Um, there's always risks whenever you get in your car to go to work. There's always a risk whenever you step out of your home uh, to mow the yard or whatever. There's always risks involved. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that one road leads home and a thousand lead into the wilderness. And uh, there's a lot of truth there. And you kind of wonder, well, where in the world did C.S. Lewis get that? Well, I know. <laughs> I know exactly where he got it. There you go. Yeah, he got it right right from the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? Matthew 7, 13-14 says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So no matter what pathway or what course a person chooses to take in this life, each course, each path uh, has inherent risks involved in it. Uh, Whether you go the broad way or whether you go the narrow way, uh, both of those ways have risks. And why do you think this is? Well, it's because of the fallen nature of man. You're, you know, we all have that fallen nature still in us. That's something that we need to mortify all the time, you know, put to death as far as its influence in our life. And then we are surrounded by people who also operate off of that fall, uh, fallen nature. So there's risks whenever you come into contact with other people. And that risk is also inside of you. This old world is under a curse due to man's uh, fallen nature nature because of man's sin I mean this whole world is is cursed because of that Um, you know in the garden of Eden Adam was able to go up and uh, and uh, and muss up the hair of a lion Uh, try doing that today I don't think you would get away with it you know Uh, this whole world is full of full of risks and then we have a relentless enemy who hates us who uh, wants our death and our destruction, and not just not just those who um, know the Lord Jesus Christ, but he he wants everybody dead. That's what he's after. He's just he's just all about death and destruction. So as we saw here in Matthew, one way is described as a wide way. It's like a super multi-lane highway. Uh, this is an easy way to go. And this is the way that the majority of people go. And in spite of the warning signs, you know, warning wrong way, warning bridge out, people choose to take this way all the time. Because it's really an easy way to go. And it appears to be fun and exciting and adventurous. You know, that's just the, that's just the way that the majority of, of us go. And then the other way is called straight. It's, it's, a, it's a straight gate. I thought that was kind of weird. What does that mean? 
Well, yeah, it leads to a narrow way. But when I looked up the word straight, it means it's fixed solidly in place. Okay? It's fixed solidly in place. Yeah, you're not going to move this gate. You're not going to, you know, change the gate. You're not going to, you know, wiggle this thing out of its place. It's a straight fixed gate. And it leads to a, a narrow way. And narrow, not so much that you can't fit into it. It's just that whereas you've got this broad way that you've got all these different lanes, this narrow way is just one lane. Goes one way. Right? It just goes one way. It's, it's just a narrow lane. You know, in old fortresses, they used to have a little gate like that. <clears throat> Whenever the main gate of the fortress was shut, but there's still people wanting to get in and out of this fortress. They had this little, this little gate, and uh, only one person at a time could fit through this gate, and you had to know the password in order to be allowed in. If you didn't know the password, then you weren't allowed inside this little narrow gate. And it's so it's very, very similar to what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about. Um, does that seem restrictive to you? Does that seem kind of um, um, not only restrictive, uh, but does that seem like kind of, well, gosh, that's... That's not very um, tolerant. It's not very open, you know. When you compare it to the Broadway, when you compare it to the Broadway, and unfortunately, a lot of a lot of people look at it in that light. Like, well, how dare there? You know, how dare God set up just one tiny little narrow way? You know, that just doesn't seem fair or that doesn't seem right or that doesn't seem uh, you know very tolerant of other people's ideas so that that's that's something that has caused a lot of problems in, in the world today a lot of problems in the world today and that's one of the risks when you're preaching just one way expect to get resistance from that Expect to get resistance from that. Uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah chapter 20. Now, Jeremiah was a man who was called of God to preach to a nation. And excuse me for my language, but he was, he was preaching to a, to a nation that was hell-bent unto its own destruction. And Jeremiah was a man who was preaching to these people, and he was preaching the narrow gates and the narrow way. And so Jeremiah, at times during his ministry, he felt the pressure of standing alone against the tide of opposition and persecution. Look what he has here in Jeremiah 20, starting in verse 7. He says, now this is a man of God, okay? Now listen to him. He says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. He says, thou art stronger than I and and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Every one mocketh me. You think he's feeling the pressure of ministry? You think he's feeling the pressure of standing alone against the majority of the people who say that narrow way and that narrow gate is no good 
He says, um, verse 8, For since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil. He was warning them, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. He says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He says, I'm ready to quit. I'm done. But look what he says here. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watched for my halting, saying, Peradventure, he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. But look what he says here in verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. Here is a man who stood against opposition for God's truth for that straight and narrow way. And he was being persecuted. He was being mocked. He was being maligned. He ended up in prison. They threatened his life. He had to hide. The pressure was so much, he was wanting to quit. He was saying, these people aren't listening to me. Why even bother? Why am I doing this? But he prevailed. Because God was with him. And notice what he says here. It burned in me because he knew the truth. And the truth wouldn't let him quit. The truth wouldn't let him quit. He knew of the two ways, and he knew that his people were going the broad way of destruction. And he was trying to tell them, don't go that way. Don't go that way. It's difficult. It's difficult. To stand in the narrow way. You've got family against you. You've got friends against you. You've got co-workers against you. You've got strangers against you. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 10.23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. O Lord, correct me, but with judgment, not in thine anger, at least thou bring me to nothing. See, Jeremiah knew he was in the right way, and he did a very wise thing here. He says, help me, Lord, to be strong. In the face of that persecution, in the face of the risks that I'm facing for your name's sake, help me to be strong. And when I start going astray, when I want to quit, he says, correct me, but not in your anger, but in your grace. Correct me. I remember one time on the job site, I was standing in line getting ready to punch out at the time clock. I don't know if they've got time clocks anymore. And there was like a group of 30 guys there. And I was witnessing to this one particular individual there while standing in the line waiting to go home. And the other guys started joining join in on the conversation before I realized it. I had like 30 guys laughing at me and mocking me and calling me stupid and all sorts of things. 
I went, you know what I did when I got in the car? I cried like a baby. I did. I cried like a baby. And I told the Lord, I said, okay, Lord, I read in your word, I knew this was going to happen, but this is the first time it's happened to me. And it hurts. And it hurts. But you know what, Lord? I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for you. Because I didn't want to go back to work. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before. But that's that's humiliating. That's tough. It's tough. But if you're on the right path, stay the course. Stay the course. Psalms 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it. That I will keep thy righteous judgments. He says, I am afflicted very much. And then he says, Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. That word quicken means to revive. Right? To revive. It's like you see these marathon runners, these guys and these gals who stumble and fall, and then they've got a fellow racer come along and they pick them up, back up on their feet and help them run the rest of the race. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's your comforter. He's your paraclete. He's the one who's there inside you to give you that strength when you fall, to pick you back up, to get you back in that race. He gives you that. I remember when uh, my daughter Heather had this uh, endurance thing. And she had us walk 100 miles. It felt like 100, didn't it? It felt like 100 miles. You reach a threshold in your endurance. And you have to say to yourself, okay, I've got to push through this threshold. And that's what you do. You just push through that threshold. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit inside us to help us push through that threshold. Now let me be clear about something. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed heaven. Alright? You are guaranteed heaven. And it's not a works, you know, salvation. And and I want to say that in the very beginning of our study on these landmarks, because I don't want you guys to get the impression that when I'm talking about this pathway of life and so forth and so on, that I'm preaching a work salvation. I'm not. For it is by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. Where's that found, Vicki? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But you can get off track. You can get off track. Even though you may have entered into the straight, through the straight gate and got onto the narrow way, uh, you may not be running your race as well. Uh, you may become distracted along the way. Uh, you may lose sight of the prize. Am I wrong? Am I speaking something that you guys don't understand about? 
It happens. It happens to the best of us. That's one of the big risks of being on the narrow way. Not only are you going to face opposition, and sometimes it's cruel opposition, but even on your own selves, as you go along this path, there are things that will distract you. You might get upset with one of your brothers or sisters in Christ and want to call it quits. The pastor might say something or fail to do something. You say, oh, well, then just forget the whole thing. Where do you think that's coming from? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Philippian believers, he said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now to work out one's salvation is not to earn one's salvation. But to live one's salvation. To live one's salvation. It's that pilgrimage that we talked about. It's that conversation of life that I talked about. All of those are descriptive metaphors used in the Bible to help us understand what it means to work out our salvation. It's a walk of faith. We are to follow Jesus' example. We're not earning our salvation. We are living it out before others. And the risks are real. And they are there. And you will meet with them. And they take all sorts of shapes and sizes and colors and forms. And they'll surprise you in such ways that you would never even think. But it's worth the walk. It's worth the walk. Because the other path, what does it promise? Death and darkness. But this, what does it promise at the end? Eternal life, reward, being with Christ, having a part of the kingdom. Great reward. Great reward. So there's something that's very crucial for us to do. And that is we must ponder. You ever ponder? (laughs) I might ponder too much. Um, Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. He says, Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Ponder, ponder. What does that mean? 
It means think about it. It means, you know, where am I headed? What direction am I going? Maybe um, for whatever reason you've found yourself off the path. Maybe you're in the weeds somewhere, right? Or maybe you've just stopped walking with the Lord altogether. Maybe you find yourself languishing a little bit. Maybe you've reached that threshold that I was talking about. Well, ponder such things. Ponder such things. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy thing to do. It is. It's an easy thing to do to get discouraged. It's an easy thing to do to get tired. It's an easy thing to do to get distracted. That's why we need to ponder the path of our feet. Ponder the path of our feet. You know, I've seen some really good people, strong people, uh, people who are really out there, you know, shaking things up for the Lord. All of a sudden, quit or go astray or something happens. Paul said to the Galatian church in Galatians 5.7, he says, "Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Is there something hindering you? Remember, we talked about that in the race. What's hindering you in the race? A detour is often presented. And you know what? Sometimes detours seem like the easy way to go. (laughs) But they're not. They're not. You know, the enemy of our soul is not able to take away our eternal life. But boy, I tell you what, he can sure make things difficult, can he? He sure can. Um, You know, one of the interesting verses that I read occasionally that just causes me to ponder is what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. He wanted to come back and see the Thessalonian church, but he writes, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered the Apostle Paul. Well, if Satan's going to hinder the Apostle Paul, who am I? You know? 1 Thessalonians 2.18. And then I think for the majority of us, I know it's true of my own life, you know what my biggest hindrance is? I, <laughs> my own carnal nature my own laziness or whatever it's my own carnal nature my own unwillingness to forgive somebody who steps on my toes or that's my biggest hindrance I remember being in a meeting one day and, and there was a whole group of you know high flying pastors sitting around and the question was asked you know what is it that hinders you in your ministry what one thing do you need and one man said well I need more money another man said I need more I don't have enough workers that's what's hindering me and then one of the pastors said well the biggest hindrance that I have in my ministry is myself I thought wow yeah he's absolutely right it's not more money it's not more help 
Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3.1, And I, brethren, cannot speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? You realize that when you're, when you're living carnally, you're walking as men and not walking as Christ? Book of Proverbs, a very practical book. Addresses a lot of these practical issues that we face on this pilgrim way. Proverbs 12.28 says, in the, ray of, in the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. It's a good path. It's a good path. It's a good book. It talks about our relationships with God. It talks about our relationship with others. Proverbs is one of those books that puts boot leather to doctrine. So it's a good book. But, not only is there a risk and we need to ponder, there's a requirement. There's a requirement. There is a requirement needed to successfully walk this path. And we all, every one of us, have to meet this requirement. In fact, there's more than one. More than one. When I had the opportunity to go on short-term foreign missions trips, um, there were certain requirements that I had to meet. I had to get an American passport. I had to get a visa for the particular country that I was uh, going to go into. Uh, in, in, in a couple of situations, a couple of places I had to go, I had to get a particular vaccinations and proof of those vaccinations. I even had to exchange uh, currency so I would have the right money to spend when I was there. So there was, a, there was a lot of requirements that I had to meet prior to going on this journey. It's the same thing here with this journey on the path of the just, this, this journey on the path of life. There, is a, there are requirements that need to be met. And as we progress through this study, we're going to see what these requirements are. And we have to meet these requirements if you want to walk successfully along this path. And the very first requirement is the most crucial requirement of all. If you do, if you do not meet this crucial requirement, then you never will get on the right path. Irregardless of your religiosity, irregardless of your ethics, irregardless of your, you know, philosophy. How many times have I heard somebody say, well, I believe in the golden rule, and I seek to live by that golden rule. Well, that's a good rule to live by. But if you leave this requirement out, it really is not going to profit you in eternity. Proverbs 21.16 says, The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Now remember when I talked about this broad way that it's multi-laned? You know, the world touts about many ways to God, right? 
There's many paths to God. I mean, all these various religions, well, we all, it all goes to the same place. Well, I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to tell you that's a blatant lie right out of hell. Oh, Jeff, how dare you say something like that? What about the Hindus? What about the Muslims? What about the Jews? What about all these religions? What about all the different denominations of Christianity? And there's a passel of them. That's kind of intolerant, isn't it? Isn't that kind of exclusive? That's not me that made that choice. I'm not the one that's making that decision. God made that decision. He's the one that set up the straight gate, the narrow way. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Straight gate, narrow way. There's only one way, guys. Only one way. You know, I did a study one time about um, ways in the Bible. And uh, I came up to with at least 15 different ways. But even with all of these different ways... They still follow. They still fall under under these two categories. Certain ways go the broad way. Certain ways only go one way. There's only one way. There's only one way. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, concerning the forgiveness and remission of your sins. If you have made that personal decision, guess what? You have the right password. (laughs) And you got led into that gate. And you're on the narrow way. That's the only way you're going to get on that narrow way. When a person has repented and believed on Jesus Christ in their hearts, confessed with their mouths, according to Romans 10, 9 through 10, you're on that narrow way. There's only one way into it. That gate is Jesus Christ. I think in John he also says, I am the door. There's only one way. Only one way. And you have to enter this way by faith. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also we have access by faith into the, unto this grace wherein we stand and, re, and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Man, you go out there and you preach that stuff and you're going to get all kinds of flack. All kinds of questions. All kinds of opposition. I mentioned repentance, and I have to mention repentance. Faith and repentance is not works-based salvation. And unfortunately, at one time in our church, we had a group of people who thought that's what that was all about. And that's not what that's all about. 
Can anybody tell me what repentance simply is? Is it getting your life right? Is it quit smoking and drinking and running around with girls that do or guys that do? Huh? No, what is it really? Change of mind, change of, yeah, change of mind, change of heart, change of attitude. It's a change. It's a change. It's a change. It's a change of mind toward God, towards God's authority over my life that results in a change life. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. See, at one time these guys worshipped idols because they thought that was the way to go. Then Jesus, then Paul came and told them about Jesus Christ and they said, well, this is no good. I'm changing my mind and I'm following the one true God. There's no works involved in that. That's a decision. That's a choice. Acts 17, 29-31 Paul is preaching to the smart guys on Mars Hill. He says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the God has, is like on a gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth, commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Again, we're talking about adultery. We're talking about what these people are putting their faith in. Paul gives them the truth. Don't put your faith in those dead idols. Put your faith in the living God. Because that's what God has commanded. That's what the repenting is. Stop believing in stuff that doesn't profit you anything and turn and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that gives you eternal life. Yes, ma'am. You were mentioning that somebody believed that it was works-based. What exactly, were they saying that you had to go and ask everybody to forgive you? Yeah, something along those lines. Yeah, there was a there was a group of folks who was was under the wrong impression that you had to clean yourself up first before you could come to Jesus. Now, is that true though? We can't, can we? No, because we're washed in the blood of the Lamb, who cleanses us from our sins. There's we can't do anything. So they were afraid that when we connected repentance and faith, they were afraid that we were teaching a works-based salvation. They didn't understand that the word repent has nothing to do with works. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a, a attitude of heart and mind, right? That's what it is. So it's an, what are you putting your faith in type of thing? So, so yeah, there was, a, there was a big misunderstanding. Big misunderstanding. You know, some folks are saying, well, that, you're, you're saying they got to give up smoking and drinking and chewing and running around with the girls that do. And No, that's not what we were saying. That's not what we were saying. Huh? Yeah, you really shouldn't. Yeah, you're, you really shouldn't. But that has nothing to do about getting saved. Uh, unfortunately, I know some saved people that, well, never mind. Acts 16:19, uh, Paul's preaching to Agrippa. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but it showed first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coasts of Judea and, ten, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. Turn from your idols, your dead idols, and turn to the living God. That's a, 
That's not works. That's faith. What are you putting your faith in? It's a change of mind. I mean, stop and think about the prodigal son in 1518 of Luke. He says, what am I doing here? What am I doing here among the swine? (sighs) Enough of this. I'm going home to dad. What happened there? Change of mind. What about the two boys in Luke 15? Uh, Father says, hey, go work in my field. He says, okay, I will. He never did. He says, the other boy, go work in my field. He says, no, I don't want to do that. But he changes his mind and go does it anyway. That's repentance. Change of mind. Change of mind that affects the life. Change of mind that affects the life. I apologize for hammering on that, but there was such a big misunderstanding over that. Do you believe, I'm running out of time, do you believe that genuine saving faith brings new life? It does, doesn't it? If a baby is stillborn, why? It doesn't cry, it doesn't hunger, it doesn't coo, it doesn't mess at britches. Why? Because it's stillborn. But when a baby is born alive, it cries, it's hungry, it moves around, it coos, it fills its britches and makes messes. The same thing is true in the spiritual life. Same thing is true in the spiritual life. And all I'm saying is, if you have that new life, this is no longer our home. We're headed someplace, right? We have a book that is our authority, our guide. This is what we live by. What is it that Peter says? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, is there a hunger? That's all I'm saying. You have to meet that first requirement. You have to meet that first requirement. Now I'm going to say something that may be offensive. It won't be the first time. But I'm going to say something that may be very offensive. And I'll explain myself. One can only have a living relationship with Jesus Christ through a living relationship with God's word. I see some wrinkled uh, uh, brows. I'm going to say it again. One can only have a living relationship with Jesus Christ through a living relationship with God's word. Now, first of all, when I, before I start explaining, I know that in our church we teach it's not a religion, it's a relationship. So immediately what we do is we associate the word relationship with being equivalent to being saved, getting saved. Right? But does it stop there? So what is a relationship? Right? Well, let me ask you a question. Let's say you're married to someone. And you're the only one doing the communication. You're the only one that's putting forth any effort in the relationship. You're the only one that's 
trying to talk to them. What kind of relationship would that be? Not a very good one. Not a very good one. But yet there are so many believers in Jesus Christ have a relationship with God on that very same level. Because they never get into God's word and see what God has to say to them. So that's why I say you, you cannot have a living relationship with Jesus unless you have a living relationship with God's word. Now that's not my opinion. That's Jesus' words. Listen to what he says here in John 15, 7. John 15, 7, all the way to John 15, 10. If you abide in me, salvation, and my words abide in you, word of God, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. How do I do that? Verse 10. If ye keep, live out, and obey my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Now, does that mean that Jesus stops loving you if you don't get into his word? No. But you experience his love through his word. That's what he's saying. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. You cannot separate the two. You cannot separate the two. You must have a living relationship with Jesus Christ through his word. Now, doesn't that make sense? Because it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you want to know the word, get into the word. Obey the word. Keep the word. Pay attention to the word. And I say this because of this. It seems like so many folks who are saved are content with just that. And they're missing out on so much. Don't be content with just being saved. It's wonderful. It's great. We can sing about it all day long. But you're missing out on so much more. You're missing out on so much more. You're missing out on that fellowship. You're missing out on that relationship. What did Jesus say? Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You keep God's word, you're going to abide in his love. You're going to abide. Now think about it. (laughs) Let's say... We're all parents, right? Most of us. When your boy or girl is being really disruptive and being a brat and just causing you all sorts of harm, you still love them, right? You may not like them. (laughs) I'm just kidding. But with their disruptive behavior and, you know, always being called into the school because of something they're doing, it doesn't make it very pleasurable, does it? 
But if you've got a child who's obedient and who's respectful, and isn't there so much more joy in that? Raising a child like that? Let's be honest. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Are you a brat? For the Lord, are you a problem child? He still loves you. But boy, what a, what a better relationship we would have if he wasn't always having to paddle our little behinds. <laughs> right? I'm just, I know, I'm coming down on a pretty, pretty common level, but that's, that's where, unfortunately, a lot of us live. So, requirement number one, salvation. Requirement number two, obedience. I've quoted this before. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. You know what one of the key things in your own personal growth is? I've mentioned the word several times. I talked about it just a little bit. It's the word that everybody had trouble with. Repentance. If you have a hard attitude of repentance, okay, Lord, I see, you know, I see where I'm not right in this matter. You are right in this matter. I'm going to do that. If you keep that attitude alive and well, you'll go far along this path of the just. But if you're resistant, headstrong, strong-willed, refusing to change because I want my own way, yeah, you're still going to be a child of God, but you're going to have a lot harder time on that path. It's up to you. It's up to me. Close with this. Proverbs 23, 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Good words. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. We're just getting started in this study. I do pray and hope and trust that it will be profitable as we begin to look at these um, essential principles of life. As we seek to please you and glorify you, Father, and to be good boys and girls for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Any question on what I talked about? Any comments?